moving forward, I realized very quickly that the Holy Spirit is saying something to us today. And it is what I'm preaching on today, which is giving God our whole heart. And uh, so I thought we need to move right into the message today because the Lord is doing this. And then when I turned it over to Tim, Gary, one of the elders here, said, I was going to come over to you during the worship and say, I think we're supposed to move right into the message today. And uh, so that's obvious confirmation. And then Tim's word about giving God our hearts and our money's connected to our hearts. Clearly, the word of the Lord today is that he wants our hearts. Even the opening worship today, my, my greeting to you today, if you remember, was my six-year-old daughter on the way to church today saying, I want today to be the greatest worship day I've ever had with you, Daddy, because I, they're not going to let the kids in here uh, next Sunday. It was something they did for the summer. And I said, well, how do you, do you know how to make it the best worship day? And she said, no. And I said, you worship God with all your heart. That's how worship is the greatest worship. It's not clapping, shouting. So God is talking to us today about our hearts. So um, he wants to produce spiritual revival in our church, in you. He wants to take that cold, lukewarm heart and turn it into a heart that's flaming with his fire. That's what moves Christianity from being obligatory and a drag to being the purpose of your existence and your destiny. So let's jump into the word today. Let's go to first Samuel. What I wanted to do today was to revisit the word from the beginning of the year. The prophetic word at the beginning of the year was that God was going to open our ears to hear his voice. And there's anything that sets your heart on fire. It's your heart hearing God's voice. God's voice will ignite your heart all over again. I believe that's going to happen in this house today. That he is going to speak to your heart. It's going to ignite the fire in your heart. And that backslidden state that, oh gosh, I'm on plan B. Oh man, I used to be on fire for God. All that is going to be nothing but a distant, vague memory. Because your heart is going to be aflame with the fire of God again. I don't believe that's an overstatement. I really believe that's what the Lord wants to do today. But you need to partner with him in that. You need to say, yes, Lord, like the mother Mary, when the angel came to her and said, this is what I'm going to do. She said, yes, Lord. And uh, that needs to be your response this morning to, to what I'm saying. First Samuel and, and chapter three, I'm going to read down through verse 11 and then I'm going to begin teaching. You keep your heart open and hear what the Lord has to say to you today. Now, the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was lying down in his place and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see. And before the lamp of God went out in the house of God where the ark of God was. And while Samuel was lying down that the Lord called Samuel and he answered, here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli. And he said, here I am, for you called me. And he answered, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and he said, here I am for you did call me. Then Eli perceived 
that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down and it shall be if he calls you that you must say. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, speak for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I will do something in Israel, which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. I want to talk today about three hindrances to hearing the voice of God. You know, when we talk about hearing the voice of God, we teach about hearing the voice of God. And in church like this, where everybody says they hear the voice of God, you may be one of those that say, I don't get it. I don't hear God's voice like others. And you feel like a second rate citizen in the kingdom of God. You feel like there's something wrong with your Christianity. First, I want to say some people who say they hear God as much as they do really aren't. There's a hyper spirituality that can make you feel inferior and it's just not real. But then there are those who don't believe they can hear the voice of God. That is also not true. That's a ditch on either side of the road. What I do want to say is God is speaking and God is speaking to you. And you can hear the voice of God. Jesus even promised it. He said, my sheep hear my voice. He didn't say they could, they might, I hope so. He said, my sheep hear my voice. And so I'm going to open up with the first point, And that is, here are three reasons you may not be hearing God's voice. And for those of you that feel like, well, I hear God's voice just fine. We can always tune our ears in better, can't we? Okay. So don't be a know-it-all this morning. Learn. Here's the first point about not hearing the voice of God. You may simply be not, you may not be recognizing God's voice. Look, when it says, when it says that there was no widespread revelation, that the word of the Lord was rare in those days, that is not a positive thing. And that is not the way God wants it. Otherwise, he wouldn't have written it in the Bible. There was no widespread revelation. In other words... There's something wrong here. You see, God wants to speak to his creation that he made. He's not an absent absentee father. He's not given the human race the silent treatment because he's so mad at us because of what happened in the garden. He called to Adam even right after Adam flat out disobeyed God and Eve was deceived. The first thing God said to them was what? Adam. Where are you? He immediately began speaking to his fallen creation to draw them back into fellowship. God is speaking. The question is, are we picking up what he is saying? And some of you who don't feel like you really hear God clearly, I want to say, I want to propose to you, you may simply not be recognizing his voice. Like Eli, um, like Samuel. Samuel thought Eli was calling him. He didn't recognize That it was the voice of God. I want to say that whether it's through his word, his audible voice, dreams, thoughts that go through your mind, impressions, other people speaking to you, circumstances, nature itself. The Bible says God speaks through nature. God is speaking in a multitude of ways. And what happens when God is not speaking Or when a person doesn't feel they hear the voice of God, darkness, spiritual darkness sets in. 
a lack of zeal and desire for the things of God. This is the condition of the human race. It's the condition of the United States of America. And what I say, what I mean by that is the value systems that we hold are not God's for the most part. How is that possible? Because the way to have a, 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 a nation turn back to God is for individual hearts to hear the voice of God. And then his voice brings light and revelation and an awareness of what's on God's heart an understanding of what's on God's minds. God's values then become your values and you become a change agent at that point. You see, you become a revivalist because you've been revived because now you are on God's page because God has spoken to your heart. That's why it's critical that we pray for the leaders of our nation. Because unless the leader of a nation and leaders of a nation, the leader of a home... The leader of a marriage, a parent, unless that person's heart has been touched by God, they will simply do what they think is right in their own eyes. There's no other option. We're either living by our own passions and our own thought and our own wisdom, or we are living by God's. The Bible says there is a way that actually seems right to man. From our own cognitive rationale, it really seems right. The Bible says, but the end is death. But the fear of the Lord, the reverence for God, obeying God, is a fountain of life leading away from the snares of death. So there's no way the wisdom of man will ever go down the same path as the wisdom of God. And so we need widespread revelation in our nation. You may need revelation in your heart. The Bible says that the prophet's eyes We're getting so dim, he was almost blind. It says the lamp of God was almost out in the house of God. These are metaphorical examples of spiritual darkness descending upon Israel. It was descending on the priest of Israel, descending on the house of God. And when the house of God is not on fire and believers are not on fire with the word of the Lord, there is no hope that there will ever be fire and light in the nation where that where that believer lives. Because the 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 church is the light of the world. And so if we are not the light, if we are not reflecting God's light, there's no hope that our nation will ever reflect the light of God. We are the people of God. We are light set on the hill. We are the salt of the earth. That's why it's critical that you and I do not get baptized into the world system, the world's philosophies. But if you're not in the word of God and you're not in prayer and you're not opening your heart to hear God's voice, you will be operating on your value system, your own wisdom, and you won't look much different than the world except you come to church sometimes. And that's not a condemning word. It's just a reality. You cannot stay hot if you're not close to the fire. It's an impossibility to stay purified and sanctified, set apart to the Lord, if you're not getting yourself in a position to be touched by him. Which is point two, which we'll get to in a minute. But first, I want you to understand that God wants to constantly give light and revelation and revival to your heart. So that you and I do not live in darkness like this priest was. Samuel was just a boy. Now, if a little boy can hear the voice of God, certainly we can hear the voice of God. But here's the thing. I'm going to say this about Samuel. He's a he's a prototype of what God's looking for. Jesus said, unless you become like a little child. You will not enter the kingdom of God. Well, what does a little child do? A little child believes and here's what we do with our children. Our children say, oh, I, you know, I, I sensed something evil in my room. Or I saw an angel. Or God spoke to me. Or I saw this. And we say, oh, isn't that cute? 
And we disqualify them because of their innocence. And yet I believe their innocence actually qualifies them to be open to more kingdom activity than we are. Because honestly, we're jaded. Even Samuel himself hears the audible voice of God. And Eli tells him, go back to bed. Nobody's talking to you. Here's the priest of God, the leader of the religious nation of Israel. God is speaking to a little boy and the leader of the spiritual nation of Israel doesn't even recognize it and doesn't believe, I guess, that God would speak to a little boy. What he didn't know, he had become so spiritually dark and so deaf to God's voice, he wasn't even recognizing it and God was about to replace him with this little boy who does hear the voice of God. Come on, somebody. You see, God needs somebody. Who can hear his voice so he can light up their heart, give them divine revelation so that person can be a spokesperson for God at work, in the neighborhood, in your family, in the church, to bring revival to the nation. It took three times for this parent, this spiritual leader, to recognize God is speaking to my boy. When my children said to me, I think, you know, there was a bad angel or there was a demon or there was a ghost or something in my room. And I said, well, that's a possibility. They're like, what? Yeah, well, that's possible. And I teach them there are good angels and there's bad angels. Let me tell you what to do with the bad angels. Kick them out in Jesus name. You see, here's the problem. If we don't train them up as children about the spirit realm and about our authority, Things like this will happen. Last week, I got a call from a a man and he said, my grandmother's in her 90s. She has panic attacks. She's afraid and she feels like the devil comes after her in her house and she can't sleep at night. And she wants a, a preacher to come to her house and pray for her. Will you come? And I said, absolutely not. I said, you go do it. You go to the school of the supernatural. You've been to every quarter. What are you doing calling me? Now, I didn't say it like that. I was polite, but but he got the point. And I said, first of all, tell your grandmother to do it. Is she a believer? Yes. I said, tell her to kick the devil out. The believers are not to be running from the devil. The devil is to be running from believers. And I didn't want to go anyway because I wanted to hang out with my family. Really? I mean, to have the preacher bounce around all over the city, casting the devil out of people's homes when the body of Christ has been given the name of Jesus, the authority of God, the Holy Spirit. A child can do it Amen. with the authority of the name of Jesus. So he said, well, I, don't, I, don't, I think my grandmother wants somebody. And I said, well, I understand that the relational component. You go. And I preached to him about his authority. I just got an email or a phone call yesterday, a message on the phone saying it worked. It was just like the disciples. Remember, Jesus sent them out in his name and they came back going, oh, my gosh, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And so the point is, if he was not taught that as a little boy when he was growing up, that's why when he's an adult, he's calling the preacher to go across town to cast the devil out of his grandma's house. If he was raised knowing his authority, he would never have called me and just said, Grandma, I'll take care of that for you. Can I hear an Amen. I think that we really underestimate the spiritual capacity of children and the intention God has in communicating with them. Think about this encounter. God is speaking to this little boy in an audible voice about the destruction he's about to bring on the priest of Israel. Now, that's a pretty heavy message. And yet God is entrusting this little boy with his message because he's childlike. 
For some of you, unless God stands right in front of you and speaks audibly, you won't believe it's him. And even then you may question it. Why? Here's what I believe. I don't believe you want to be mistaken. You really want to make sure it's God. You don't want to make things up. You don't want to trick yourself. Worst of all, you do not want to be a fool. You don't want to be one of those Christians that forward all these little things on the emails about, you know, uh, you know, O'Hara and all these people that are doing all these. Oh, my God, did you hear about that story? And it's like, oh, please go to Snopes and check it out first. You're not doing the body of Christ any good when you forward those emails. And it was some it was some, you know, folk story from 30 years ago. And, oh, go, Jesus. It's like, no, actually, you've made us look like fools once again. OK, you people that people that. People that now I just lost some of you, but listen, just go to Snopes first. That's all I'm saying. Check it out before you forward it and say, oh, let's go to Washington and stand on the steps with his email. It's not even true. That's all I'm saying. Some of you just don't want to be in that category of a person believing that everything is God. But. I believe this is one of the main things that Jesus was talking about when he was saying we must become like little children. Little children are so self-unaware that they do things, believe things and say things that would make adults look foolish. But it's not foolish to a child because a child doesn't care about how they come off. And I would rather be mistaken believing it was God than for God to be trying to do things in my life, speaking to me, trying to get my attention. I keep saying, oh, no, that's not God. Oh, that's not God. Oh, that's not God. Oh, that's not God. To where you're demanding God to stand and manifest right in front of you with holes in his hands before you will believe the God. You're missing a whole lot of God that way. You're just not recognizing when he's talking to you. He's talking to us. I mean, something, God's not going to call your cell phone. You've got to join the rest of us and learn to recognize impressions that seem to be him. Thoughts that seem to be too wise to be yours, too loving to be yours. Thoughts that bring freedom to you and begin to believe that many of these thoughts and impressions are actually from him. Yesterday, I was at the pool with my family at the YMCA, and there was a a guy that uh, was in the military, and the Lord told me how many years he had been in the military. Now, that's just an odd thing for God to tell you. Now, I wasn't absolutely sure, but it was kind of, it was just an impression. It was like, all of a sudden, it was like, I thought to myself, how long, how long, I wonder how long he's been in the military. Now, that thought must have come from God, because why would I even be thinking that? And then all of a sudden, there was this, this knowing it wasn't, he's been in the military for 12 years, and the audible voice called the waters the ripple, and I was walking on water, and then I knew that this was God talking to me. It was just an impression. But I didn't say to the guy who I just met, we're sitting in the jacuzzi, or in the whirlpool, whatever that was, that the therapy pool, with my wife and my son, and my other kids were in the other pool, and I didn't say, hi, my name's John. Thus saith the Lord God Almighty, as I'm standing on the water, talking to him, that's not the way it went. I said, hey. I bet you've been in the military 12 years. And he turned around and he said, wow, if I had a prize, I'd give it to you. <laughs> he goes, yeah, as a matter of fact. Well, before we left, I walked up to him and I said, excuse me, I'd just like to explain to you how I knew that. And he, it was kind of like, uh, oh, yeah. Um, have you ever heard of the gifts of the Spirit? You know, um, and he really had not. I said, well, there's the word of knowledge, there's the word of wisdom. I said, what that's called is a word of knowledge. And it's where God will tell somebody information about somebody else. There's no way they could know. Now, why would God tell me that you've been in the military for 12 years? And he said, I don't know. And at that point, he's wondering if he's dealing with. You know, the supernatural invading the natural stuff at the pool at the YMCA 
can get really strange to people. This is why we have to be as normal as we can possibly be when we're doing it. And I said, it's because he wants you to know that he knows you. That he knows where you're at. He sees you. He knows your name and he's with you. He's a personal God. He just wants you to know that. Shook my hand. He could receive that. That was normal. That felt good. Okay, I like that. Shook our hands and I just walked away. And that was it. We're done with it. Now, he gets to move forward. That was just an impression. But I would have missed that moment if I would have thought, oh, that wasn't the Lord. And he would have missed that connection with God that was probably very significant to him. Okay, you have to join the rest of us and just take risks. Testing all things as noble, even godly, until, listen to this, until your testing allows unbelief to masquerade itself as the desire for things to be genuine. And this is a huge obstacle to discerning the voice of God, unbelief. So there's two questions you have to ask yourself. One, does God speak today? This is a theological issue. And secondly, does God speak to me today? This is a personal issue. And Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I think about Nathan Cannon, who was down here a couple weeks ago. He fasted for a week and he was crying out to God during his fast saying, God, why don't you see me? Why don't you see me? Why don't you see me? I wouldn't be saying this publicly, except that he already shared it publicly. And Tim and the men were, were praying up on the hill a couple Saturday mornings ago. And Tim turned to Nathan and said, I don't know why the Lord just wants me to say to you, he sees you. Well, the Bible says that when you go into your room and you close the door and pray to your father who is in the secret place. The Bible says God's in the secret place. He's there with you. Even though you don't feel like he is, it doesn't seem like he is. He is there and he sees you. And yet we can come to a place where we really don't believe God sees me. That unbelief can rob you from your encounters and your experiences with God. But thank God for God's grace and his graciousness to have Tim prophesy to, to, to Nathan, I do see you. Rather than God saying, you horrible person that does not believe, God comes to us and helps us believe. But at one point, you've got to start believing. If you don't believe God speaking to you, it might be because you really don't believe that he loves you. And that he has an undying care for you. God loves Samuel and he called him by name. God loves you and he has called you by name. Here's what I love about God. God went to Samuel three times. You know, we have this truth, which I'm going to get into in the second point right here, that we are to be seeking God. But do you know that God is seeking you? And it's not a scary thing. It's a good thing. God is chasing you to bless you. If God was chasing you to get you, he would have already got you and you would be done. God is chasing you down because he loves you. You're his son, his daughter, his special creation. And he wants to show you his goodness. That his whole point, his whole point for catching you is to reveal to you how good he is so that you would then worship him and live the life you're supposed to be living, which is with God in his fullness and his purpose and bringing the kingdom of God. God went to Samuel three times and kept seeking him until Samuel picked up the signal and then connected back to God. And this brings up, well, let me, let me say this. This is, a real, this is a pattern in the scriptures and it's really important to catch. Jesus was walking along and Andrew and his friend were following Jesus in John chapter 1. And Jesus turned and said, what are you seeking? And they said, Rabbi, where are you staying 
And Jesus let them come to where he was staying and spent time with them. Jesus will turn to you as they were seeking him. He will turn to you and he will ask you, what is it that you want? Two blind men, blind, came to Jesus. And Jesus says, what do you want? Wow, that one's not hard to figure out. You don't even need a word of knowledge on that one. But Jesus will ask you these questions. Jesus is walking on the water and he sees the disciples in the boat. It says he would have walked by, but they cried out and he turned and went to the boat. Sometimes you'll have divine encounters with God. I think about the one you had, Trace, with the glory of God coming into your, your, at nighttime when you were sleeping. You guys, some of you have had dreams, you've had visions, you've had encounters. What is this? This is God's invitation for you to begin seeking him more than you have in the past so he can reveal more of himself and more of his plan for your life. But if you do not respond to that and decide God's calling me, he's saying, Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. He's trying to get your attention. If you don't respond by seeking him back, setting some things aside, carving out some time and pressing into him, you're not going to get what he's wanting you to get. What happened with Samuel? After God spoke to Samuel and Samuel responded by saying, here I am, your servant. I'm ready to hear. God then downloaded his revelation into Samuel. Samuel became a tremendous prophet to where it says that not one word that Samuel spoke dropped to the ground, but it came to pass. You see, he graduated into this powerful place in walking with God because he heard and he sought God and pressed into him. The Bible says that in in the passage we read that Samuel was ministering to the Lord. That was verse one. You see, Samuel was in a posture where he was already pursuing the Lord. Here's a great passage out of the book of Proverbs. It says, my child, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. See, this is a posture of hunger. Search for them as you would for silver. And we can apply that to the way that we seek after wealth and seek after our provision and seek after things we love and pleasures and entertainment. Other people. He says, seek For me, as you would for silver, seek them like hidden treasures. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord. And you will gain knowledge of God. For the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. I like the uh, the New King James Version. It says this. God stores up wisdom for the upright. He doesn't. He doesn't store up wisdom from the upright. He stores up wisdom for those who are seeking him. And if you've lived long enough, you know, wisdom really is the most important thing. What do I do in my marriage? What do I, how do I raise my kids? What do I do at work? How do I handle this situation? What do I do in this relationship? I mean, wisdom, understanding how to navigate life and all these daily situations. Wisdom really does become the principal thing in your life. And the Bible says God stores up his wisdom for those who will seek after him. You see, there's a whole lot of God that none of us are going to get. That many of us are not going to get unless we are pursuing it. But he desires us to pursue him. Look at this passage. It says in Psalms 138.3. In the day when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. I remember uh, just a few months ago, I was really in a bad place. I had lost my spiritual fire, passion, zeal, hope. 
I was emotionally depleted. I had just gone through just a, 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 a Vietnam of conflict. Anybody ever been like that before where you just, yeah, your heart just has just empty and sad and sunk and you just feel like, and to the point where I felt like there is no way that I will ever get vision and hope back. You know, where you're in that condition where you're so separate from hope and vision and the faith that you don't have any idea how that's ever going to be restored to you. And I'm sitting there in my chair at 5 a.m. in the morning and I said, Holy Spirit, I need your life to be imparted into me. I need you so much. And I was there for about a half hour just calling to him and it was like somebody flipped a switch. Poof. All of a sudden, I had faith, vision, hope. And it was like, what was my problem 30 seconds ago? You know, I mean, you're, you're in such a completely different state of mind. And you know, that was God. You see what I just read. When I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. It was the voice of God. It was the voice of God spoken to Samuel that took Israel out of darkness and reversed the curse of there was no widespread revelation to every word that he said came to pass. Well, God can do that for a nation. He can do it for an individual. But you need to seek him and listen to his voice and his voice will change you. But the key is you got to prepare yourself. God says to Job, prepare yourself. I'm about to speak to you. The Bible says about Ezra. In Ezra 7.10, for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. So what's the key? Don't be spiritually lazy. God really does want to speak to your heart and transform you. But you cannot be spiritually lazy. I like what one brother said. It's so true. He said, God is on the other side of boredom and loneliness. I have my thinking chair. I sit in that chair in silence and listen and listen and listen. And there, I, w- I, I would like to be out doing other things. It gets boring sometimes in prayer. And when we're so entertainment driven, we've got to turn on the TV. I've got to be entertained. I've got to have activity. I've got to go hang out with a friend. It gets lonely when you're alone with God. Like Nathan said, how come you don't see me? You feel that way. Sometimes you just feel like you're just in a room with air. I remember one time I was felt like that and I called out to God. I said, God, I don't feel anything. You know, you can be honest like that because he is God and he knows anyway, right? And he spoke back to me into my heart and said, good, now start praying by faith. It changed my life. It changed my prayer life. That moment changed my prayer life to whether I feel God or not as I'm sitting there in my listening chair. It doesn't make any difference to me anymore because I know he's there and I know that he is speaking to me. And many times what I find is this. Even if I don't hear anything or get anything while I'm in that posture of sitting and being silent with God, I find as I do that consistently when I'm in public and I'm talking to people, this wisdom will come out of me that even surprises me. And I think, where did that come from? It came from that time that you were saturating yourself in God's presence. That transformation takes place in his presence. Yes. 
So don't be afraid of boredom. Don't be afraid of loneliness. God is waiting for you. He's on the other side. Look at the Bible says in 1 Timothy 4, 7. Take the time and trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit. I mean, it's kind of like you ever been to the amusement park and you want to go on that roller coaster ride so bad. Oh, I want to go on that roller coaster ride so bad. I've heard about it. It's just amazing. And you get there and the line's like four hours long. I mean, I, I took my kids to uh, uh, Legoland recently and we kept going back to this one ride because they wanted to do it. You walk all the way across the park and the line. How long's the line? It's going to be an hour and a half. There's ain't no way I'm standing in this line for an hour and a half so we can go on a 30 second ride. That's insanity. Not to the kids. They're willing to do it. I'm not. And I'm your parent. We're leaving. Right. And so you go do something else. You come back to the ride and it's still now it's a 45 minute ride. Still not well enough, good enough. Some of you, oh, I really want to hear the voice of God. I want to ride that roller coaster ride. I want to hear the voice of God like John and Mark and Gary and them say they do. I want to hear that ride. Yeah, well, it means you're going to have to sit down and shut up and just be silent for maybe 30 minutes. Mm, nah, I'm going to go do this thing over here instead. And you're going to miss the ride. Listen, God's not mad at you. God loves you. I love you. You're great. You're wonderful. You're just going to miss out on a whole boatload of what God wants to say to you, which would be about your destiny and his wisdom and inflame your heart with his fire and give you the wisdom and take you from that, like that position I was in of emptiness and darkness to faith and power in a matter of minutes, because I would sit there and give him an opportunity to speak to my heart. So I remember my roommate one time said, you pray so much, it convicts me. And I said, you have to understand why I pray so much. It's not because I'm so holy. It's because I have such a propensity to be so unholy. That went like a lead balloon over Lake Erie. The Bible promises, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Should I stop here or should I go into point three? You think? Well, we still have to do announcements, and of course those are... Okay. So the first point is you may not be hearing. You just may not be recognizing his voice. Since I have time, I'll go back to point number one. Listen. When you can, when you really can, when you can break through, when you can break through into believing God is talking to me all the time from multiple avenues. That changes the way you listen. I am constantly listening whenever I'm people are talking to me. Listen, whether it's my children and I mean this, I've heard God speak to me through my children. They don't know it when I'm in conversations with people constantly. Especially when you spend time alone with God and you're listening and you feel like maybe he has said something to you. There's an impression when I get out of that thinking chair, that listening chair, I'm always have my ears open all day long. And when I'm in a natural conversation with somebody, I'm my green light is always on. I'm thinking God may be speaking to me through this person just in the natural conversation. They don't stop and say, thus saith the Lord God, the spirit of prophecy have just come upon me. Most of the time, they don't even know that God is speaking through them to me and I don't even say it to them. I'm just listening. I think, oh, wow, that was God. And we just keep the conversation going and I'll walk away having heard the voice of God. Sometimes I will say it. Hey, you know what? God just used you because it's exciting. I want to affirm them and it's it's a wonderful thing, but I don't always do that. 
I mean, he spoke in the Bible through a donkey. Do you think he could speak through somebody else? To you. So first, you may not be recognizing God's voice. Secondly, you may not be seeking the Lord. I want to say one more thing about that. It's the same thing I said, but I just want to reiterate it. Listen, you can't sit around and watch TV, read other books besides the Bible, suck on the newspaper, hang out with your friends, text all day long, and then say, I can't hear the voice of God. I don't know for those of you that watch Sports Center. But they have this panel of analysts that they sit there and after a week of football, they have something called, come on, man. And what it is, they take these clips of the most idiotic things that happened in the NFL world for the last week, like a guy running the wrong way into the wrong end zone, that kind of stuff, you know, just just stupid kinds of things. And when they show the clip and they say, come on, man, come on. Right. That's what I want to say to those of us. Who say, gosh, I just can't hear the voice of God. And you're watching The Simpsons. Then you flip over to, you know, CSI. And then you flip over to this other station. And then you want to text your friend. Then you got to go hang out with a friend. Then you, and all that's wonderful. You can have fun. But then to say, but man, God doesn't speak to me. He's trying to. Come on, man. That's all I want to say about that. Thirdly. And finally, you may not be serving God's purposes. In verse 9, it says in that passage we read, If he calls you, you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant, your servant, your servant hears. There's been a massive paradigm shift taking place in our nation, and that is we think God is here to serve our dreams rather than we are here to serve his. It's a major paradigm shift. Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. And I know we need our needs met. And so we can go to God and we can really be about asking him for stuff all the time, just like children do a parent. But it's wonderful when the child becomes a teenager and then says, Mom, Dad, is there anything I can do to help you out around the house? I mean, you know, at first you pass out from the from the from the request. Then you realize, oh, they want something. And that's usually where we end up and we live the rest of our lives as Christians. We hear the verse, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then he will add all these things to you. Oh, I get the formula now. If I seek God first, then I get all the stuff I want. And that's called manipulation. And God's not fooled. It's when we truly come to a place in our spiritual walks where we really decide what's on the Father's heart, what's on his mind. The kingdom of God is what I'm to be all about. He saved me from going to hell. Thank you. What could I do for you now? And that posture of Lord, I'm your servant. My life is supposed to be spent on what you created me for. What would that be, by the way? I would like to find that out so then I could do it. Otherwise, if I could say this, you waste your life. If you've given your life to Christ, you will end up in heaven. You'll be with him for eternity. But you'll look back and realize my life was not supposed to be spent on accumulating things and having fun and all about pleasure. My life was supposed to be a sacrifice to the Lord to serve my creator, to be on his page, 
to be about what he's doing. And you know what? It's actually more fun. I know that sounds like a cliche, but it's really true. I remember uh, I took uh, this little sabbatical and I just didn't pray as much as when I'm uh, in the saddle doing ministry, teaching. And I didn't pray as much, wasn't in the word as much. And uh, when I came back, one of the intercessors had a vision. And uh, the vision was that I was standing there waiting to get on a school bus and uh, had my books and I'm ready to go. And Jesus comes pulling up in a two-seater convertible. And he says, hey, John, jump in. Uh, I thought, no, i got to get on the bus. I've got work to do. No, jump in. Come on. So I jump in and we take off and he's laughing. We're flying. And the message was, I'm fun too. Take me on your vacations. I'm not all about work and ministry. I want to live life with you. And I believe this is one of the fears that we have. That if we really give our life completely to Jesus, he's going to ruin it. I really believe we believe that. It's a lie. And it started in the Garden of Eden. When Satan came and said to them, hey, God's a withholder. And if you would live life independently from him, then you would really experience the fullness of life. In fact, you'd become gods. I'm talking about a roller coaster ride that you would not forget. And God doesn't want you to experience that kind of fun. He wants you to tend the garden. It's a real drag. It was a lie from the enemy. And he's lying to you, to me today about the same thing. I want to end today. I have uh, actually quite a bit more to say, but um, I think we're going to end today. And I want to end today with this little booklet that my wife gave to me. And uh, it's called My Heart, Christ's Home. I picked up a handful of them. They're out at the table. They're a buck and a half. You want to pick one up. And it's a wonderful metaphorical story about this brother that gave his life to Christ. And how he was, how Jesus had moved into his heart, representing a Christian's home. And how Jesus was going through each room in the house saying, hey, do you mind if I come into the study? Hey, do you mind if I come into the entertainment center room? Hey, do you mind if I come into the bedroom? Hey, can I go into this place? Can I go into that place? And every time he invited Jesus into another room in his house or in his heart, Jesus would transform it into something that was so much better than what it was. And uh, I want to read one portion toward the end of this to you. And then I want us to pray. And then next week, we'll pick up on point three about being about, um, about serving God's purposes. Because I'm telling you, the life of living your life for God's purposes is, it's just, I mean, until you do it, it just really sounds like a cliche. It sounds like something a preacher is supposed to say, but it really is the life that he designed you and I to live. To live it with him and about him and for him. And uh, so the last room that Jesus wanted to go into was was uh, the hall closet. You know, that little hidden room you've got in your life or in your heart. There's one more matter of crucial consequence I would like to share with you. One day I found Jesus waiting for me at the front door and a resting look was in his eye. As I entered, he said to me, there's a peculiar odor in the house. <laughs> Something must be dead around here. It's upstairs. I think it's in the hall closet. 
As soon as he said this, I knew what he was talking about. And I like that sound effects there in the sermon. The Lord wanted you to hear that and made, made sure it was a point. Donk, catch that one. Indeed, there was a small closet up there on the hall landing, just a few square, few, few, uh, just a few square feet, just a little small closet. In that closet behind, locked and key, I had one or two little personal things I did not want anybody to know about. Certainly, I did not want Christ to see them. They were dead and rotting things left over from the old life. Not wicked, but not right and good to have in a Christian life. Yet I loved them. I wanted them so much for myself, I was really afraid to admit they were there. Reluctantly, I went up the stairs with him, and as we mounted, the odor became stronger and stronger. He pointed at the door. It's in there, some dead thing. It made me angry. That's the only way I could put it. I had given him access to the study, the dining room, the living room, the workroom, the rec room, the bedroom. And now he's asking me about a little two by four closet. I said to myself, this is too much. I am not going to give him the key. Well, Jesus responded, reading my thoughts. If you think I'm going to stay up here on the second floor with this smell, you're mistaken. I'll take my bed out on the back porch somewhere else. I'm certainly not going to stay around that. And I saw him start down the stairs. When you've come to know and love Jesus Christ, one of the worst things that can happen is to sense him withdrawing his face in fellowship. I had to give in. I'll give you the key, I said sadly. But you'll have to open the closet and then clean it out. I don't have the strength to do it. I know, Jesus said. I know you don't have the strength. Just give me the key. Authorize me to handle that closet and I will. So with trembling fingers, I passed the key over to him. He took it from my hand, walked over to the door, opened it, entered it, took out the putrefying stuff that was rotting there and threw it all away. Then he cleansed the closet, painted it and fixed it up all in a moment's time. I've had that happen to me. How many of you ever experienced that before? Hanging on to something, hanging on to something, hanging on to something. You finally give it over. This rush of freedom comes into your heart. You're like, my God, why didn't I do that a long time ago? Freedom is priceless, family of God. Immediately, a fresh, fragrant breeze swept through the house. The whole atmosphere changed. What release and victory to have that dead thing out of my life. No matter what sin or pain there might have been in my past, Jesus is ready to forgive and heal and to make whole. Clearly from the beginning of the service today, God has been saying, I want your heart. Will you give it to me? I want to challenge you to trust him today. He saved you. Let him have the rest of your life. Let him make of it what he intended it to be in the first place. Your wife will be better for it. Your husband will be better for it. Your kids will be better for it. Your parents will be better for it. You will be better for it. Trust him. He is good. Will you stand with me today? We're going to pray. Then I'm going to have you sit back down so Chris can come do a few announcements. Then we'll stand again and we will go. This is how it's going to work. That's called the gift of administrations. Okay, so.
It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that God has really touched some hearts today. And that was his intent from the very beginning. So I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes and think about the rooms in your heart, the rooms in your life, your marriage, your money, your lusts, your anger, greed, the areas of entertainment. Come on. The things in your life and in your heart that would be displeasing to the Lord. That's what he'll be talking to you about. And the key is to obey his voice right now. Yes, Lord. I remember the last time we were in this posture, somebody who had been praying for healing for months and came down to the prayer lines and nothing happened. In this moment of consecration, the person was healed right here in this church. God wants to bring freedom to your heart today. Purpose and destiny to your life. Nobody can force you in this place. I can't, even God can't. You have the key to your heart and you need to unlock it and let him in and give him free access to every area of it. And as you give him his heart, your heart today, your ears are going to pop open and you're going to be able to hear him and see him. I believe there's someone here today, more than one, that was in that condition I said I was in where I was sitting in my chair at 5 a.m. And I was empty, lost, depressed, lacked hope. And God spoke into my heart. And I was changed in an instant. If that's you, just lift your hands to him this morning. Just lift up your hands to him and say, Lord, I need you to speak to my heart. And I'm willing to obey. Let's just quiet just for a moment and let him speak. I'll shut up so he can speak. Maybe you're in here today and you're that person that is not recognizing God's voice because he has to speak audibly to you for you to finally say, OK, I believe that's God. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to repent from that today. You might unbelief might be disguising itself as integrity. And if that's you, I'm going to encourage I'm going to challenge you to look like a fool. Take the chance of possibly looking like a fool. What's the big deal? You believed it was God and it wasn't. What's the big deal? That's childlikeness. So would you repent this morning from possible pride and unbelief? Call it what it is. Just ask the Lord. Say, if that's true about me, I'm yielding to you today and I'm willing to believe that you're talking to me more than I think you are. And I'm asking you to help me recognize it. You're my daddy. You're my papa. You're my God. Of course you're talking to me.
Take authority over that spirit of unbelief in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And we cast you out. We rebuke you from this house. And we say, you shut your mouth. The fear of being wrong. That's perfectionism. We also bind you in Jesus' name. And we say no to you. This house is filled with grace. We can make mistakes. And it's just fine. You might be a person here today that you're not seeking the Lord. You fill your life up with everything but alone time with God. Would you turn from that this morning right here in this moment? Would you just turn say, that's it. I've had it with myself. I've had it with my flesh. I've had it with my over busyness like Martha. When Jesus visited her house and all she could do was clean the house and cook. Where Mary sat at his feet and said, there's something more important here. Would you repent from that this morning if that's you? Would you say, God first, everything else second. And maybe you're that last person here today where you're really not serving God's purposes. You're all about what can God do for me? What has he done for me lately? I go to church to see what I can get out of it rather than going there to worship my God who saved my life. If that's you, would you turn today? This is a major paradigm shift for you and say, I don't want to live the rest of my life being self-centered and selfish, self-absorbed. I want to live my life serving God and his purposes. I want to count for him as his daughter, as his son. I want to end my race. Then Jesus looks at me and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. If that's you this morning, would you just turn from that? Would you say, I am no longer going to ask the questions. What is what what can what can God do for me today? I'm changing my purpose for living. What can I do for God? Now, Father, we ask that you, as you said at the beginning of this year, open our ears spiritually, open our eyes. We don't want to be like Eli, whose eyes were about dim, so he is blind, and the lamp was about to go out in the house of God. We want the lights turned on, God, in this house. We want our ears open. We want to see you, hear you, know you, feel you, be led by you. God, we are crying out. Like you said for us to do in the book of Proverbs, cry out for understanding. Lift up your voice for wisdom and I will pour out my spirit upon you and open up my storehouse of wisdom and you will know and understand the fear of the Lord. God, we are asking you, speak, God, your servants are listening. This week, God, begin to speak and we will respond in Jesus name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right, Chris, come up, give us some announcements, grab a seat real quick, and then we're going to have you come down to